to episode eight of Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour. This month I've come incredibly badly prepared and because of that I'm pretty much just going to let this guy talk to you all and I'm going to smile and nod, which is kind of shit when you think about it because it's not a video podcast, but oh well. This guy is also known as Timothy Swan, who tells me to tell you that he's a writer and grand overlord of all podcasts. Is that, is that actually true? That That is a title that was conferred on me by one of my listeners on one of my podcasts well, see, you're so- uh, <laughs> no one will ever know but it was me. no i don't think it was it was something to do with i can't remember it whatever it was it inspired inspired me to sit down on twitter and send a message to uh, R- richard herring the so-called podfather with whom i claim to have a rivalry Okay. Richard Herring as in the mad comedian who does podcasts of himself playing snooker against himself. Yeah, I listened to one episode of Me One versus Me Two. I really like Richard Herring's podcast. Well, I have a kind of love-hate relationship with Richard Herring. I can't decide whether I kind of love him or hate him or both. I, uh, I definitely both, yeah. <laughs> when I think about it, as it occurs to me, it's basically I love Dan Tetzel. I've been watching Celebrity Masterchef purely because Emma Kennedy is in it. My brother was watching. I was like, "That's Emma Kennedy. I recognise that voice." And <laughs> I've got no uh, idea yeah, what she looks like. Read out one of my tweets on as it occurs to me, and so now, just like I assume that he's brilliant at everything. That is pretty sweet. I am. Um, I met Richard Herring the once because me and Rich went to Edinburgh Fringe, and we saw him record a podcast with Andrew Collins. And oh then, wow, well, that's a privilege, isn't it? I know, I know. And then we went all the way to the Tempting Tatty and had a baked potato with. Oh, you actually went to the Tempting Tatty. I mean, for people who don't listen to Collins and Herring, like this is quite a niche thing, but that is amazing. The Tempting Tatty is like the most... Fa- it's shut now and that really upsets me because it's like the greatest potato I've ever had in my life. It opened with new management but isn't as good. Oh, really? Oh. But they've like fixed the sign so it actually does say Tempting Tatty. Now. Oh, yeah, because it just said Tempting Tatty when I went, which was like, that's a lot of letters missing. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So, yeah, I guess I should say that, yeah, I do Psychomedia, which is a podcast about science and comedy in which I essentially kind of take the part of a double act hence my supposed rivalry with uh richard herring because it's this idea that as a double act we have to pick a rival double act and realistically we've picked lee and herring because they're a rubbish double act these days <laughs> um, they don't do anything really do they no not really and yeah part of my ongoing deliberate trolling i guess that uh keith lemon is a better deconstructor of comedy than Stuart lee is mm-hmm. um, <laughs> They both won BAFTAs for their unfunny, but maybe funny to some people, comedy. Um, oh, I can't, I can't deal with Keith Lemon at all. No, I mean, I, I, I find the man and the kind of whole concept repellent, but uh, <laughs> I, I like annoying people who are kind of like disciples of Stuart Lee. But yeah, and then I do a lot of stuff-ish on the Overthinking It podcast, which is an American show, which is fun, but time difference is not fun. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> And I did do a show on the Geek Syndicate, which is fun. 
called Tim and Max with a guy called Max Barnard, who is just amazing. And uh, we did that for six episodes and then he moved to New Zealand. So That's quite rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, 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 exactly. He just couldn't share a country with me anymore. He's like, where is the furthest country away I can go? And then I'll get a terrible internet connection so he can't even catch me online. <laughs> so the thing that I'm, I'm to take from this then is that you are a bit of a podcast whore. Yeah, basically. I, I I love to guest on other people's podcasts. I don't really mind who it's with. Fair enough. I'm, I, I used <laughs> to be sounds, bit... That sounds so insulting to you. I don't mean it that way. I wanted to be on this <laughs> podcast when I heard that you could just write in and be. <laughs> I think some people don't realise that that's what I mean when I talk about coming on the show, you know. Like, <laughs> I've had very few people offer until the other day when I went on Twitter and went, somebody help me, I need a person with a voice. And, uh, and then loads of people went, oh, can I do it, please? And I was like... Yes, register your interest, fools, which you did, which I'm quite glad of. I can cross you off my list now. Anyway. Hooray. <laughs> Huzzah. Yes, so I guess that's enough blathering about us and Richard Herring. Yeah, so, mo- mo- more, more Herring than myself there, which is weird, because <laughs> I certainly kind of tend to play the character of an egomaniac. Um, <laughs> oh, well. Done a good job there. <laughs> well done. I'm proud of you. Yeah, so if you want to kick it off... Having a having a talk about all things pop culture, Dodd, um, my friend. Well, can I uh, transition from something that is sort of about us to talk about uh, where we're from? Because contrary to uh, popular opinion, I uh, grew up in the black country. So I wanted to talk about being a Midlander. Okay. Um, so my kind of thing for this is the Midlands comic series, The Boston Heroes. I don't know if you've heard of it and or read it. No, not even. So okay. <laughs> it's a uh, web and print comic by uh, Matthew Craig, who does a whole load of kind of indie UK superheroes, which is something that I'm obviously into that and Sugar Glider and... Oh, there are other ones, but I can't think of them in my head right now. But the Boston Heroes are a set of, like, the Fantastic Four, but they live in a bat cave under a Dudley Castle at Dudley Zoo. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I love that castle. And, yeah, in the second issue, they have to save the uh, bullring in Birmingham from a monster called Godvilla. <laughs> You know, it is brilliant stuff for people from the Midlands, but because I'm rubbish at being kind of in touch with my, what I feel like my kind of regional identity, because I live in Worcester now and that's just not the same. It's kind of this provincial cathedral city with mostly just nice middle class insular stuff. Hey, what are you trying to say about the Midlands? I'm trying to say that it's a bit more culturally distinct and interesting and nice. And I miss, like, being able to have an accent and to be kind of have a, you know, a background, I guess. I don't, I'd, I'd rather not have an accent, to be honest. Should we, should we swap? I, I, I take... don't, oh, no, I can't do other people's accents. You've heard me try and do Stacey Whittle's Geordie, sure. <laughs> that did not go well. I, earlier today, I was talking to Rich and I tried to do an impression of Sarah Millican and I really regretted it. I was like, oh, <laughs> what a prick. I just stopped myself there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be good. No, it, it really wasn't. I was going to tell you my one Sarah Millican fact, and I shouldn't, because it's, like, just deeply socially awkward. Go on, now I'm intrigued. Uh, Sarah Millican is one of only two women whose bra size I, in fact, know. <laughs> who's the other one? Uh, just someone I was at school with. <laughs> that is a random selection of women. Yeah, yeah, it says something about my, you know, ongoing singledom in life, but... Um... <laughs> The thing is, I think it's a good thing that the first thing you say to a woman isn't, what size are your tits, love? So I think it's yeah, uh, gentlemanly. Like, that that's... How many men actually do that? How many, you know, 
it's one thing to kind of ogle and to be interested in an inappropriate way, but to actually be like, I'm, I'm interested in your, your measurements and your fitting, to be fair. <laughs> that would be weird. Yeah, that would be weird. Incredibly so. But yeah, so these Boston uh, heroes, you know, it's a um, very kind of uh, standard uh, superhero origins thing. They get invited to a Batcave. They get mysterious powers. You know, they have to deal with the fact they have superpowers, fight monsters. Some higher power has called them a higher power with a uh, kind of grummy slash uh, yam yam accent. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can read it all online. Um, I'm not sure if they're working on a fourth issue, but I uh, met up with the one of the creators or possibly both of them at uh, Bix, the Birmingham International Comics Show, a few years ago. And uh, yeah, they're kind of passionate about building pride in your region, mm-hmm. which is that we don't have like a lot of, or if we do, it's kind of unhealthy and unhelpful. Because like my friend Ben, who I do psychomedia with, is from Essex and just like the amount of damage that has been done to Essex by the fact that the only kind of cultural touchstone that it has is the only way is Essex. It's just so terrible. Yeah, I can That's- imagine. I absolutely hate that show so much. They're doing Wales, the valleys, but then they're doing Birmingham and it is going to be like officially branded the only way is Birmingham. And that upsets me because it's this kind of fetishized. I was going to say whorish. That sounds very. No, it is though. (laughs) But it isn't like a portrayal of a place, except that that's what everyone else in the country is going to see of that particular region Mm -hmm. and i feel like you know being proud and say yeah we've got the boston heroes we've got our funny ways of saying things we can get a t-shirt with a little kind of b on it that is like the i can't remember the original brand it's taken off saying boston on it because they do all these kind of t-shirts and stuff as all part of it is really nice and just to have you know a british thing that isn't just like well it's london oh what we need a big building to be like fighting on top of oh let's go to the gherkin or one canada or the shard i guess it's going to be the next big one for that this is actually like a thing under the places that you know and you recognise the city. It's just kind of really exciting. Mm-hmm. I actually am genuinely upset to discover that there's going to be the only way is Birmingham. That um, is it really happening? Because that will actually make me want to move. <laughs> I will verify that with the uh, source of all truth, the internet. The only way is Birmingham. Is the second result once you start typing the only on Google. Ah, it says hoax spin-off. Oh, ooh, thank God. So I think we might have been saved. But given that they've done Wales, they want to pick places with... Accents. Um, <laughs> yeah, and different kind of class stuff. So you've got, I guess, the most popular other one is Made in Chelsea, which is this other one about, you know, rich people, essentially, um, stupidly rich people. And it's like, well, I went to university with a lot of stupidly rich people who weren't like that. So it's just like, let's divide up everyone. Let's cut people off by region and by class and stuff. I'm turning into like a complete Marxist here. That's <laughs> basically what happens anytime I talk. That's fine. I can deal with that just about, I think. So shall I talk about another thing? Hey. Just on Marxism and political activism? Or would you like to talk about one of the things that you read? Well, to be honest, I am. I feel like I should explain to the listeners. Yeah, true. I have been terrible this month because I've been stupidly busy and had a birthday. Hooray. And all sorts of other stuff, which means that the stuff I've read quite a bit, but not as much as normal and and very little that's actually been kind of entertaining in any way. (laughs) I feel quite bad saying that because it seems like I'm really poo-pooing some things and it wasn't necessarily that everything was bad so much as it was just that nothing stood out to me as being good enough or indeed shit enough for like a fun, interesting review. (laughs) Kind of lukewarm. Yeah, I mean, I literally just read. Um, for my birthday, I got a copy of um Fish and Chocolate. It sounds vaguely familiar, but run it by me, and I'll see if I actually remember. Or if I'm just thinking of I don't know 
a strange food I had once. <laughs> I really hope you've never eaten fish and chocolate at once. I do quite like bad flavour combinations, weird ones, you know. Fish fingers yeah, and crusted. Uh, I've never actually tried that. A lot of people. Is part of you not slightly intrigued though now? Because I was. No, no. I'm, I'm not like ever going to try it. I hate mixing sweet and savoury. I like mixing contradictory sweet and uh, sweet tastes and savoury and savoury tastes. But I hate like applesauce on pork. I just hate anything like that. Oh, applesauce is amazing balls. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's another that's another chat for another day. Does food not count as pop culture? <laughs> Unless we're talking about, I don't know, Cupcake Wars on telly, which I totally am addicted to. But again, uh, that's another thing. Fish and Chocolate is by a lady called Kate Brown. And I'd never actually heard of her before I went to Thought Bubble last year. And I saw the Women in Comics panel. And she was on it and she mentioned this book and she kind of sold me on the idea of it so I thought right I'll slap it on my wish list because I'm one of these people who if it's not something that I'm pretty certain I'm going to enjoy then I don't want to spend my own money on it <laughs> yeah no that's fair enough that is a terrible thing to say but I uh, received it for my birthday yesterday uh, huzzah so I read it today hoping that I would like absolutely love it so that I could review it today uh, and as it turns out it's alright I suppose <laughs> It's all right, I suppose. What a review. Stick that on the back cover. I tell you what, when I finally actually get a book out or something, I may not come to you with a review copy. The thing is... Although, actually, like, if, it's, if, if I know that you're... If I can trust that you might like it, then Amazeballs would look good on the back. Yeah, I am pretty good. If I do like something, I'm pretty good at coming up with awesome ways of saying so. But, yeah, this book, it's, it's like three little separate stories about mothers and... The art's good. The art's very good. It it kind of reminds me of um the Luna Brothers in terms of its style and colouring, which I like. I'm quite a fan of the Luna Brothers anyway. But the the actual stories themselves are a bit kind of. I don't know if it's because I'm not a mother. Well, I was gonna suggest that, but that's kind of prejudicial because it means that some people will never be able to get that book. And yeah. clearly, I mean, the, the three stories that are quite like entirely separate from each other and they're all a little bit on the depressing side i mean one is quite clearly about a paedophile the other is about a woman who is entirely disengaged from her own child and then the final one is about a woman who i couldn't quite gather whether she'd had a miscarriage or whether she'd just lost a baby at some stage in its very young life neither especially jolly topics not it's not all you know nice sitting around dipping yeah. fish and chocolate yeah no i don't know why it was called fish and chocolate at all because oh, right there's no kind of there like, was no fish and there was no chocolate and i don't know what it means and it's not like a phrase or a metaphor that i am aware of no me neither so i don't i don't quite know what that means and what that was about and it if it was the kind of thing where the stories you could see what she was going for you, you can see that she's trying to be a bit poignant about you know the difficulties of being a parent and the you know the dangers of society and all sorts of you know stuff going on there like you can't you have to keep a constant watch on your kids or bad shit happens but it's just i don't know which is like yeah a weird one yeah i guess isn't it because i'm pretty sure that you should have done in the past yeah it's just it was just i don't know i think maybe it's just because i'm not a mom and i don't quite get it but it didn't it wasn't fun to read or particularly interesting to read it's just pretty it has, kind of has to be interesting or it's not fun doesn't it it has yeah, to affect you in you some can, way you can read things that are, are depressing and enjoy them in a way that they interest you or, or that they they hook you or that they move you or that they 
yeah. touch you in some way, not like a paedophile. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, this this didn't to me. It was just kind of like it was quite. Um, it didn't engage me, as it were. Okay. And I say it was nice to look at, but the one about the the woman who'd obviously miscarried had a lot of like blood flying out of vaginas in it, which was a bit hard to take straight after dinner. I mean, you don't get that much in comics. I'm not sure there's any character in the DC New 52 who has that. No. Because I'm sure they never actually mention, say, you know, like just regular womanly things. Yeah, I don't think I'd want them to, to be honest. I was um, was actually reading, um, I'm in the middle of reading the Sucky Stackhouse. um, Oh, yeah. True Blood's based on. And I think, I can't remember if I'm on the fourth or the fifth book now. But there's quite a long paragraph in it where she suddenly, it suddenly dawns on her that when she's on her period, the vampires can smell it. And that really freaked me out. I was like, oh, oh, nobody needs to know this. And she keeps mentioning it throughout the rest of the book now, like, oh, I'm acutely aware, blah blah And I'm like, no, stop being acutely aware. It's a shit enough time as it is. Now I'm going to have to worry about vampires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you see a man just, like, looking at you out of the corner of his eye now. His, his nostrils just twitching slightly. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um indeed yeah, yeah i was gonna say you know well I, I don't want to say any of the other like like psychological facts about awareness of the menstrual cycle in men now <laughs> <laughs> no we'll, we'll just back away from that and leave it alone i think it's just a thing i don't want to read in comics and books actually you know okay that's you know probably fair yeah, the only place I think that should, that sort of thing should be contained is within a textbook when you are learning about it at school and all the boys are embarrassed. That's that's how it should work. Do you like, think there's a place in kind of, uh, you know, coming-of-age novels? Hmm. <laughs> As if we're discussing this, it's like, you know, where should, where should menstruation stand in literature? I bet someone's written a paper on it. <laughs> Quite possibly. In my head, I, I am a little bit... That's a very private thing. And once I know how and why it does it, that's all I need. Don't need anything else, thanks. <laughs> right. Good. Well, well, now that we've settled that, um, fuck's sake. <laughs> so, yeah, so I read that and, uh, and I wasn't very impressed. And I also read issue one of Damsels. Oh, I have heard of that, but I can't remember... I am rubbish with comics. Like, if <laughs> anyone's listened to my contributions on the Monkey on My Back podcast, I'm just like, hey, there's this thing called Batman. I just read <laughs> Batman Year One. Isn't it amazing, guys? Like, 20 years out of date. I read a lot of comics, but because I am, like, poor and probably a bit stingy i don't read many print comics i can't really comment on my up-to-dateness with comics because i did just get volume two of nightfall for my birthday so (laughs) (laughs) it's quite old but damsels is uh it's by leah moore and john want to say his name's ripian (laughs) am i I saying that right i don't know and it is i don't quite know what it's about because the first issue was like super set up so nothing much happened a girl ran around seeming very confused about why she was where she was and it's all a bit sort of medieval as you might expect from a comic i don't know if i have an opinion on it yet simply because it didn't really answer any questions about anything it just There was literally just a girl running around for a little while and then some princesses and that was about it. (laughs) Yeah, that is a bit early to decide really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I like for an issue one to really hook me and I've got to say that this one, if I never saw issue two, I don't think I'd be bothered. Yeah, that's problematic. Mm. If you're doing a book, it depends on whether they're writing for a trade 
Yeah, true. Doesn't it? Because, you know, if you're writing a book, you can be very conscious. I want this slow build up. We're moving towards something. We want to introduce the characters, the setting and the rest of it. Whereas really, you should just like, you should save that until you've got people hooked. You should just be boom. There's action. There's adventure. You know, okay. So the damsel, those damsels are in distress, you know, have them being in distress and a knight trying to save them and them subverting it somehow or whatever the kind of concept is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no and then you'll get back to hey this is princess land where there is you know three princesses in like issue three or four or six or never <laughs> yeah i've um i've got literally no idea what the concept is at the moment because it was so completely unclear from that first issue but um it was quite pretty i don't know how to pronounce the name of the artist they've only got one name well that's the only name that was listed and it's spelled a-n-e-k-e abby annika i think Hmm. They didn't put a first name in it. It just said that, and I was like, I don't want to be like a sort of like Madonna single stage name. Maybe, don't know. But um, but the art was quite nice. It was uh, but it, like I say, I don't know where it's going, and if it doesn't particularly hook me with issue two, I don't think I would keep going with it just for pretty art. Mean thing to say, but true. No, you've got to get both working, I guess, haven't you? I, I think I can forgive art more than I can forgive story. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's that's be, true for most people. Yeah, it's got to be a good story. I mean, there are some, I don't know, there are some artists that I will pretty much try and avoid and I don't really care if the story is like, kick you in the balls, fantastic. <laughs> there is some art. I'm not sure those yeah. phrases and words go together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't know, not having balls, but I suppose, yeah, that wouldn't be great to get kicked in the bollocks, would it? But then again, it's not happened to me, thankfully, but I'm pretty confident that it wouldn't be good. I've always wondered the etymology of the term dog's bollocks, meaning something good. Because to me, dog's bollocks aren't really all that great. (laughs) No, I wonder if it's like delicacy somewhere or is it rhyming slang? I don't know. I could look it up again, like the infallible, the infallible Google. (laughs) You could look it up, but um, I think we should probably talk about something more interesting than mediocre things that I've sort of read and feel quite wishy-washy about. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, shall I talk about... I'm just going down like a list I wrote. That's uh, that's what I do every time. <laughs> yes, come on. Podcasting. <laughs> just involves writing lists and then saying lists. Um, shall I talk about a TV show that I've watched recently that has been on recently, but not quite... I didn't quite watch it. Uh, okay, yeah, do it. Was uh, The Revolution Will Be Televised. Now, this is a BBC3 comedy show... But don't worry, it is quite good. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, there is an issue with BBC Three uh, comedy shows. Although some of them are good and then just get kind of invariably forgotten. I quite miss The Visit. I used to love that show. Anyway, no, The Revolution Will Be Televised is like a modern day version of a mix of Brass Eye, Mark Thomas and The Chasers War on Everything, which were all shows that I liked a lot. Although I haven't actually seen any of the Mark Thomas show, but I like him, the person. It's kind of doing so political satirical comedy. You've got uh, Dale Maley there, fearless to be fearless, uh, right wing reporter who goes around like talking to people in crowds with horrendous like deliberate right wing views. So he went to see the Occupy people in London and called them all hippies. Uh, he went to see the Jubilee like people waving on the boat and talking about how great the Queen is and the Republican people and just talking to like Peter Tatchell and calls him like I can't remember. It's something like an an alien immigrant um traitor something like that which is quite a funny thing to say to actual famous like republicans faces but then they have like a sketch of um a uh, lib dem and a conservative who have to work together and just send them to all like political events so the conservative just walking up to vince cable at the party conference and just being like can you can you go and get me a coffee 
And Vince is like, well, actually, I'm kind of busy. And he's like, oh, yes, I know, I know you're busy, but can you just, you know, a cappuccino? That's, you know, you know, go run along, get me a cappuccino. It's just... So it's like some good kind of prank stuff. And then they do the kind of campaigning stuff, a lot of stuff about offshore tax. They've like coining this whole thing about that's so offshore as a supposedly cool thing and sending people into like branches off Topshop and say, oh, right, we're from the Monaco office. Uh, can we do this new range? It's the offshore range. Put T-shirts on models about, you know, like we hate to pay tax and stuff. So it's a bit like blatant and obvious and isn't going to change anything. But it's just nice to see something that's a bit like political and funny and like doing some of these stunts that just didn't seem to happen anymore Mm -hmm. because like i spend all of my time whining about how rubbish like the country is you know it's been a really depressing week politically and when i feel fed up with that it's nice to know that there's some guys being silly at you know trying to make some statements about that just out of interest do you watch the, uh, the thick of it i do yes i I got series one and two in the specials on DVD and I acquired series three so I thought I could be caught up for series four. And I'm enjoying series four because I love Peter Mannion. See, now I've never watched it before and I went to see the spin-offy film thing that I've oh, totally the forgotten the name of. Yes, Did I went to like see it? that. I thought it was hilarious. So I've started I've started watching series four of The Thick of It, which it doesn't... It's the kind of thing where it, I think it would probably help me to have seen the other series, yeah. just to know the relationships and who who's doing yeah, what. I things. don't feel like, even though they're billing it as a sort of thing where you can jump in on Series Four Coalition, I don't really think that's true because I'm mm-hmm. watching it with uh, my uh, brother who is starting on Series Four, and he's like, "Well, who's that guy?" So there's this whole thing about you know the deputy leader Dan Miller, played by the brilliant Tony Gardner who mm-hmm. will kind of forever in my eyes be my parents are aliens guy. No matter what he does, he's not the Leblin guy. You know, <laughs> he's not anything else, but, you know, that he is. And he was like, you know, in the backstory, he was once like the likely successor to Tony Blair. He was this really popular minister. So it's kind of this natural enmity between him and a rubbish minister who no one really liked, who somehow became the leader. Whereas in, you know, you don't get all of that kind of richness of the background of all these characters and why it's weird that they're in these different places. I've been enjoying it in terms of like, obviously the jokes are still very funny, but I do I do think I'm going to have to um, force Rich to watch the uh, the older seasons with me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really worth doing. It is really brilliant and it feels so real. That's the depressing thing about like watching In the Loop. It's just, like brilliant and hilarious, but you're like, yeah, this could basically be a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> it is scary when you when you when you really think about it. Yeah, um, I I really hate how much I like Malcolm Tucker because I shouldn't like that from. guy. He's such a likable and asshole. <laughs> yeah, basically a character who you shouldn't like, and his real life analog you don't really like. But for, there's something about him, and so there's an episode in one of the early series where he's like about to get the chop, and you just feel so bad that he might get fired. It's like, why am I feeling bad about this? So it's a sign of a really good character that's really well written and acted. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Peter Mannion as this kind of authentic conservative who doesn't want to stoop to spin and doesn't want to learn about technology and just wants to be a kind of grumpy old man. I just I, I find that very charming. Do you, have you listened to any of Cabin Pressure, the uh, no. radio sitcom? It's a radio sitcom that I'm surprised is not just like beloved of the internet. Maybe it is because it stars Benedict Cumberbatch mm-hmm. as a uh, young pilot who loves to do things by the book. And Roger Allen, who plays Peter Mannion, is his sarcastic but very talented co-pilot. 
uh, and it's written by John Finnamore, who plays the kind of very stupid cabin boy. And then there's a woman whose name I can't forget, so that's super sexist of me. I uh, can't remember even. Um, <laughs> get that the right way around, at least. Um, who plays the owner of the airline. And so it's a very kind of straightforward sitcom, but it's really funny, and Roger Allen is brilliant in it. And it's always nice to see Benedict Cumberbatch playing a non-smug role, because he can do it, but you very rarely see it. <laughs> I love Benedict Cumberbatch. I'd um I think I'd dry hump his leg if I ever met him. Right. Most well, definitely. Myself, but... <laughs> I, was say, I think I'd have to fight a few people for it, but it's just well, his leg. That's all I need. Yeah, like you feel like the people in the uh, Stephen Moffat shows. Maybe I just spend too much time on the internet. Just like I don't know how they go anywhere. Yeah, it's um it's a strange. I, I was talking to Rich about this the other day because I said I, I would absolutely like die of a heart attack of happiness if I ever got a part in Doctor Who. But I would not want it to be a big part because that would make me shit my Random. <laughs> I said. To, I said to Rich, it would have to be a part that had literally no consequence because I would be the person who would literally go like straight home from it being on the telly and being like, right, let's look on the forums and see what they said about. Me. Why would you do that? That's a terrible thing to do. <laughs> I know it's a stupid idea because the thing is as well is that like from. My my own experience on forums and my own reviews and things, people can be horrible. I'm horrible all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I used to feel kind of a bit smug and superior, but then I, I, you know, I'm massively into Star Wars and the stuff I wrote about what Karen Travis wrote in the Star Wars Expanded Universe, it's just like, it's not cool. And I do feel kind of bad about it. But it is how I felt about it. So I don't well, want to be like, oh, you can't criticise the creators at all. It's really hard to find that balance. You know, like Stephen Moffat being chased off Twitter shortly after I sent him a sarcastic comment, no less, like the only sarcastic comment I've ever sent him. So I'm claiming that. Um, <laughs> just a little thing about, you know, iTunes USA getting access to the prologue and UK not which admittedly got fixed within about an hour. But still, you know, parochialism. It's the BBC, Britain. And yeah, I would not I would not look at the forums if I, if I was in Doctor Who. And I don't know why I would be, because I can't act. Um, Neither can I. But imagine if you were, and then you went on Gallifrey base. <laughs> that would be a mistake. Have you ever been on that forum? No, I haven't. I, I... They are fucking ruthless. You know how a few episodes ago I tore a hole into Alan Moore? That was uh, I'm going to go with, I haven't heard that one yet. Oh, okay. Because I had a bit of a rant about the latest League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic being utter garbage i oh, really because um, you know i'm interested i've i've i'm trying to collect all the books they're uh, all on my amazon wish list and people are buying me them in the wrong order it's really annoying <laughs> uh, <laughs> that happens to me all the time so i've had to so start writing Antichrist on harry potter isn't any good no that's bad i thought that'd be interesting not to me anyway i thought it was um just really badly handled and boring uh and completely lacking in suspense and all the characters had completely lost their character <laughs> so it was it wasn't very good in my eyes but um i sort of tore him to shreds you know because i did kind of feel like he was basically throwing this book out there and going you guys will read anything with my name on you cunts and uh, fair, you can imagine him saying that yeah totally that was me basically it, compared to the way people review things on gallifrey base i was practically giving the guy an award for being okay wow 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 absolutely uh, horrible like some of them go on there and say i haven't liked an episode since the new series have come out they're all shit everybody can't act this isn't and i'm just thinking how can you even claim to be a fan of the show i was (laughs) i would go on there 
the, my temptation would be to go on there and say the eighth doctor is the best doctor and i don't include any of the expanded universe books in that i just think the film is a lot better than new who and old who i go on about how much i love the film to be fair i do love the film and paul mcgann is an amazing doctor but i don't i uh, when you get something that aggressive the temptation to just kind of prod prod the bear you know i've had to leave that forum because i went on during last season because they have a thread for every episode um and you can rate it and you can talk about it and uh, and i rated um let's kill hitler as a three i think it was okay out of of ten Yeah. Um, right, like, uh, uh, in the middle somewhere. Well, my biggest problem. I wanted to talk about the last season because I, I disagreed to... with you like strongly. Oh, mate, I just cannot stand River Song. She is a crock of shit. Okay, no, no, I understand <laughs> that you don't like River Song. I think the problem is Alex Kingston. I think that the story would be okay, but she is such a smug actress <laughs> that if you feel like a character's being forced down your throat, like it would help if they were a bit like likable likable yeah and i don't i feel that is her acting more than the writing but i i'm willing to like be you know proven wrong by anyone who knows anything about making tv <laughs> well the thing is i mean the only reason i didn't think it was alex kingston was the fact that i've seen her in other things and she hasn't irritated me to anywhere near the same degree as river song does okay the only real other thing i've probably seen her in is uh, flash forward and she's not exactly big in that <laughs> I, sadly enough i used to watch er and she was actually really good in that <laughs> okay that's that's about watching ER. <laughs> yes i don't know i don't I know actually watched it. it for like george clooney and stuff well that that you know <laughs> what was the same but yeah um so i reviewed let's kill hitler and i basically said well a i don't like river song b this whole melody pond thing made absolutely well this whole melody person made no sense and the whole thing about Hitler was a complete misdirection and I hate when they do that. Like when they did the Doctor's daughter and it was actually the Doctor's clone, that's not his fucking daughter then, is it? You prick. Anyway. Um, you, I, I'm hoping she comes back. That's what I hope. Because married to David Tennant, the actress, and yeah. her dad, Peter Davison. I love that. Well, part of me was really hoping that she would... I suppose it wouldn't happen because when she regenerated in the episode that she was in, she regenerated into herself. But I thought, wouldn't it be cool if she was the new companion? Yeah, I mean, we haven't had a Time Lord companion since... What's her face? Uh, I'm going to call her Ramona, but that's just because I can't remember. That's not right, is it? (laughs) It's like Romula, but not. (laughs) Romula... I'm hoping that someone who like cares about old who, like Matt Farr or Ian Sharman, is listening and hates me right now. <laughs> but yeah, like there hasn't been a Time Lord companion in a long time, and that would be an interesting dynamic because it would be like the whole like Arthur Denton Trillion thing. You inevitably have to have a child just to kind of prolong the race, or do you? <laughs> or do you? Yeah. Apparently, you make Time Lords by getting humans to have sex in your Tardis. Tardis, yeah, that that'll that'll work. She says, yeah, there was. Well, just... it would explain why Doctor Who loves Earth so much. Like, as a fan theory, if Time Lords are just humans exposed to the Time Vortex, basically, or if more accurately, humans are Time Lords not exposed to the Time Vortex, then you could have an interesting, like, Time Lord villain thing going on about wanting to open a Time Vortex at the heart of the Earth and turn Earth into Gallifrey, that sort of thing. So it's not entirely, like, without merit, but it is a bit ridiculous. Like, it's like, hey, guys, you've been having sex on my ship. Whoa, I didn't say you could do that. Yeah, no, it's not... Um, I don't know. I think last season was very... There were a lot of things like that that were completely unexplained, but, like had to be there for anything else to work and it didn't really make didn't really gel with me i just didn't 
let's let's just start talking about this new series, shall we? Because yeah. Well, can I just say, while we're plate. still on series six, the girl <laughs> who waited is not good because if it stood on its own merits, that would be fine. But in the Big Bang and Pandora opens, Rory waited two thousand years for Amy. So whenever Amy gets like annoyed with Rory, it's like, oh, you know, um, I did this for you. Isn't it impressive? It's like, no, he waited 2000 years for you. <laughs> and that kind of is a problem with writing, because the problem is that, like, in order to make Rory a halfway decent character, because he wasn't really in series five, even though five probably is the objectively best one. Mm-hmm. Like they had to just like he had his gain had to come at the cost of Amy for some reason. And so there's all these times where like just Amy does stupid and annoying things and he has to save her in series six. She becomes like so much more of like a damsel in distress rather than a slightly more like capable assistant thing mm. because he was such a weak character. And their way of like rebalancing that wasn't making them like a powerful couple, but just like redistributing the power dynamic in their relationship. And that yeah. kind of annoyed me. I am. Um, I do. I do think that was a shame because I. I wasn't. I wasn't entirely enamoured with Amy when she first came into it, but I grew to like her quite a lot. And when they did sort of start changing her into being very wafty in order to make Rory look a little bit more like he, you know, got a pair. <laughs> it was. Yeah. yeah it was. Because it... they managed it on the Russell T Davis series. Like by the end of Rose and Mickey, they're both like capable and competent in their own ways. Yeah. But I guess by that point, not a couple, so that is different. <laughs> true that, that i mean true. if there has to be i don't know but yeah this new series how have you found it thus far well right okay so what episode it was the third one wasn't it that's like literally just been on this week yeah, so the, the first that's the one the, the first episode was was it asylum of the daleks or something yep so and the daleks are still alive for some reason yeah Again. for some reason that we don't know they've got a planet full of mad daleks for some reason that we don't know and the only way to to stop them from escaping this planet is to flick some sort of switch that is on the planet that nobody wants to go on because it's full of mad Daleks. Um, excuse me, what? <laughs> the Daleks aren't being, being clever. You know. I um I, I gotta say I struggled with this episode for two main reasons. The first being that I've never liked a Dalek story ever because ever? I find no. I to be fair, I have my exposure to classic Who is like the Five Doctors and a two-parter about Sontarans, and that is it. So oh, yeah, you were saying this last episode. Well, yeah, mine is even uh, less. I literally the my my earliest Doctor is the Eighth Doctor. I've watched the TV film. That's it. So. Right. I don't have the older perspective. Me neither. They're the kind of thing that... My biggest problem with Daleks is that they're they're supposedly cold and calculating and they've got no emotions and they just want to kill stuff, which is fine, except every time they're around anything that they really want to kill, they never fucking kill it. Yeah, to be fair, it's like the James Bond thing with Doctor Who, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, they are villains who never just shoot him, apart from that one time where it didn't matter. For some yeah, reason. there are there there are so many times when I've sat there and I've just gone, oh, you could have shot him then and then and now and now. In fact, I could have shot him about twenty five times during this conversation, and it's irritating. They don't. Yeah, and make... so they stop being scary and they start being ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. But that's the problem with villains make... in any show, right? Well, I think it depends. I mean, I mean, unless you get something like it ends up being something like Aeon Flux, where he just dies at the end of every episode. But it's okay because he's a doctor and he can regenerate, which would be expensive with actors. But the, although I suppose he could just the, like, oh, I've chosen the same form again. The biggest problem for me with Daleks is the fact that, like you say, they are back again for no real reason. Like that, they, they keep he keeps 
making them extinct and then suddenly they're all there again and it's yeah. coming it's the reasons that they are back are, are becoming very thin and flimsy and i, yeah, I, I, think I struggled right. with this episode because i think there wasn't much of a reason for them being back at the sort of level that they were because i mean the last time we saw them they were like what five brightly colored ones yeah and that was there it. weren't any brightly colored ones basically <laughs> well, uh, or the red one there wasn't the same design or whatever i think the thing is like continuity is not so much of a thing except it really is a thing because you had to watch every episode of series six basically to get what was going on and oh, at the end look my family gave up on doctor who last season mm-hmm. they were just like this is just like it's not the same show as even series five where it was exciting and you did want to watch it every week it got to the point where it felt like it was almost deliberately alienating you with the density of the storyline mm-hmm. and i really liked the density of the storyline in series six you know how is the doctor going to get out of this who's going to kill the doctor how is there you know the time stream's going to connect up are they going to rescue amy you know that sort of thing mm-hmm. but I think it was a too much for a lot of people. You know, if they're writing about it in The Observer that it's too complicated, then it probably is too complicated. And yet, like, if you want to bring the Daleks back, it doesn't matter what happened to them last time. You don't have yeah. to say, okay, they managed to, like, come from whatever it was, like the cult of Scaro, rebuilt some Daleks, and then sent them back in time to the war as a, like, last-ditch effort, and then they regenerated into the Power Ranger Daleks, and then those ones formed a whole new Dalek society that has run so far through time, they have a prison panel and a parliament, and Doctor Who hasn't done anything about that. And it's just like, oh, that is exposition you do not need in some senses, but it then is annoying when you're trying to look for some sense of story inconsistency. Mm -hmm. It's difficult because I've come to a point with Doctor Who where I know that if it's good enough, I can let these stupid things that don't make sense fly. Well, Um, that's that's true of so much, isn't it? Yeah, there are so many episodes that I've thought, well, that doesn't make sense. But then I've got to the end and I thought, don't give a shit, that was brilliant. Whereas this episode, and I I did struggle with it too, simply because I found Oswin to be far too much like River version 2. Oh, really? Because I didn't, I found her so much more likeable than River. That she was just like capable, but like, I really think that I prefer her to Amy and to River as companions. <laughs> See, I found that she was very, very forward, very overly flirtatious, but kind of annoyed. The other thing that I kind of struggled with too, which was a... This is probably me picking holes in it because I didn't enjoy it. And like I said, if, if I'd have liked it more, maybe I wouldn't have noticed. But if she was... Spoilers, guys, and I'm not just saying that to be a River song. If she was Dalek all along... Why could they hear a human voice over the transmitter? I don't know. <laughs> no, that's the kind of thing that if I'd have enjoyed the episode, I wouldn't have even thought of it. But because I wasn't, I wasn't wholly there. Because, like I say, I don't like Daleks. I didn't think they were scary. The whole thing with Amy slowly turning Dalek was very similar to the Weeping Angels episode where she thought. Do you remember where she was doing the counting backwards and all that sort of weird stuff? And oh yeah, well this is was... the thing is, like I was going to say about Daleks, like Weeping Angels, like everyone loved Blink. It won like a BAFTA for best individual episode. So as soon as he's the boss, it's like right, my monster's going to be the new Dalek slash Cybermen in the history of Doctor Who now. And so now I'm going to kill off my companions at like the you know end of this half series with the Weeping Angels because everyone loves the Weeping Angels. It's like yeah, you're weakening them every time you use them. Yeah, and. I- I thought it was odd as well that they went from just displacing you in time to out and out murderising your face. I'm like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> how, what, where? And I'm sure there was a reason that I've forgotten. 
but it was still a bit odd to me. But yeah, so the first episode I wasn't thoroughly enamoured by, which upset me because there was a point at which I was almost literally obsessed with Doctor Who in the sense that I was re-watching episodes like whenever they were on telly, sticking them on DVDs. I was like instantly going out to buy them as soon as they got released, which is ridiculous considering how expensive they are just for DVDs. (laughs) And last series kind of killed it for me and I I really wanted to get back to that this year because I really want to be that excited for it again and like the first episode it just didn't really say i mean it was it was it was all right enough and it was probably the best dalek story of new who to me yeah because it was scary you know it did have a real threat on the prison planet there was a real threat i feel yeah i mean who? which is more than you had in some yeah exactly but the second episode dinosaurs on a spaceship was fucking amazing i enjoyed it a lot Absolutely i watched it in non-ideal circumstances but nevertheless still really liked it queen nefertiti just have a fun quick companion oh hi you know companion from history yeah um, and um whatever his face was lestrade i want to call him you know <laughs> indiana lestrade yeah, i don't remember his actual name in that but um he no was, one does he was pretty brilliant i there were a lot of plot holes in this episode. Like, for example, why did he even set up that group of people to take there? It doesn't really make any sense. But I genuinely don't care because there were dinosaurs in space and it was fun. And who gives a shit? <laughs> oh, and Rory's dad. Oh, bless him. I loved him. He's so cute. I want I want yeah. him to adopt me and be my dad. <laughs> <laughs> but only in character as Rory's dad, like like not as the actor. Oh right, so it's like the Richard Herring thing. I want to go out with Amy Pond, not with Karen Gillan, just with Amy Pond. <laughs> That's what my Rich says. Uh, we saw her on, I think it was Doctor Who Confidential once, and we were both just like, oh wow, she's like really not very interesting. <laughs> she was a model. Wow, that was so prejudicial of me. But still, she was a model. <laughs> I was going to say, she is fit, though, so we'll give her that one. But anyway, yes, I... The only downside to this episode for me was fucking Mitchell and Webb. I, had to, I really don't like those guys. Okay, I like Mitchell and Webb. I didn't think they were very good in this episode. Yeah, I, d- I don't know whether it was necessarily... That. I mean, I find I find um, David Mitchell's voice really irritating anyway, so him doing voice work is never going to be something I'm going to enjoy. But I don't have a problem with robert webb's voice but i do think those two robots were a bit too sort of needless and kitschy um yeah it didn't feel like something from the kind of steven moffat era yeah it was what i found the strangest about it was they seemed very out of place for the rest of the episode like i know it was all silly dinosaurs in space haha fun times but the the actual villain of the piece was quite creepy and scary and I don't know, it just didn't seem like it needed two comedy robots running about the place. But True, the guy was a bit kind of... He he said he would rape Queen Nefertiti, didn't he? Which yeah, is pretty heavy for... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I did genuinely enjoy that, though, and it did get me very excited for the third episode, which was... Uh, I've forgotten what it's called. A Town Called Mercy? A Town Called Mercy. I There was one bit in this that I really liked, which was, you know, the Doctor just getting fed up and angry. It's a bit like the Time Lord Victorious in the yeah. final specials, which I love because, like, my disappointment with the whole Christopher Eccleston, oh, I've just been in a time war, let's go hang out with some wheelie bins, is that the time war would have been so good. And, like, that is the one bit that I've really read up of the expanded universe on it, is, you know, Paul McGann slash Christopher Eccleston going doing all the time war stuff. And whenever you see, like, the fact that, because he is, you know, properly dark, so uh, Amy's choice 
is a good episode for that, I think, Ooh, where yes, it's just like, brilliant. who who could hate me more than the master even? Oh, it was me. Okay, I'm being patronising, but that, that was good. <laughs> I like the fact that he's, you know, old and self-loathing and messed up with the fact that he had to commit genocide a couple of times. I'm glad that that messed him up, because it should do. Well, this is the thing. I think... I read on some some online reviews that, that said that they hated that part where he got really pissed off and basically uh, threw that doctor guy to um, to the cyborg uh, yeah. western guy cowboy thing because they were like, oh, the doctor would never do that. And I thought, well, give it a sec, right? This guy is knocking on a thousand years old. He's seen a lot of shit. He's done a lot of shit. He's probably going to lose his rag maybe a few times. <laughs> It's like, do you not realise that this guy, as much as he wants to do good and right by people, he's had to make some really fucking awful decisions? That's going to have an effect on a guy, and sometimes he's probably going to crack. I mean, yeah. I've I've never had to deal with anything quite as scary as the things the Doctor has to deal with, and, and sometimes I like to lose my rag for no real reason and kind of throw people to the wolves. And I'm frankly, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had no problem with that part of the episode at all. I I thought it was really good. I, the, the only thing that let it down for me is that I'm not actually a big fan of westerns, and to me, it just it didn't seem like it needed to be set in the west. It was just a, an excuse to have a cyborg cowboy. <laughs> but oh well. Yeah. I mean, some people it was do after, like westerns. So. It was a bit after what supposedly the Civil War. My American history is rubbish. Mine's um, terrible. I've got no idea. I feel that maybe that should have had a bit more impact. If they're going to mention it, mm-hmm. you know, then uh, you probably should, like, actually do something about it, I guess. Which I didn't notice, as far as I'm aware. But I'm sure if I watched it again, I might notice something. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I, di- I did think it was a good idea, though. And the payoff at the end of the episode was uh, was pretty cool. I don't know how much I want to spoil this one because it is quite recent and I think by the time this yeah, episode a... get, gets released it probably will have only just aired in like Australia and stuff so okay, <laughs> not that yeah, I've got sure. any Australian I'm... listeners. <laughs> yes. No, I did, I did think it was a really good episode and I do... I do think I'm liking this series already a lot more than I was last series. I'm just, I'm very scared about the handling of the companion switchover and the big gap in the middle again because I fucking hated that gap last year and I'm scared of it this year. (laughs) Um, I was going to kind of fill you in on that. It is money, I think, is the big deal. And I happen to know that the BBC's like treasurer guy doesn't like Doctor Who. So he is obligated to continue funding it but he does so in a slightly jerkish way. Oh, that is well. the gossip. I suppose the gap might be better this year because of having the Christmas episode in the middle. But I'm I'm a yeah, bit notorious for not I'm not I don't tend to particularly like the Christmas episodes. I think I struggle with the Christmas episodes because of the tenuous Christmas links more than anything else. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, yeah. it's gotta be Christmassy. Um bollocks, put it Killed on the stadiums. It's snow now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh shit! I've just crashed into this Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, stop it! But yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Jenna come back. Simply because, I mean, it was pretty amazing that they introduced her in the first episode without basically anybody knowing that this was going to happen. Because well, now leaves you wondering: making... is it is it going to be Oswin? Is she going to be Oswin? Is she going to be somebody else entirely? Is she uh, what's happening? It will be a mystery that will only be revealed in the final episode, where it turns out that she's like Amy's mum. I think. 
<laughs> she's the doctor's sister and that's going to be really awkward because it's going to be like a star wars thing and the doctor and her are going to have um anyway this reminds me actually i should have asked you this when we were talking about last series i cannot remember for the life of me why the doctor had to marry river somebody please explain um because they love each other they um, don't. When a man and a woman, or a time when two time lords, when a time lord and a time lady love each other very much, they do a special kiss and then they're married, despite the fact that they're in a simultaneous time space thing. I, just, I don't know. I just was trying to remember the other day because I thought surely there's got to be some sort of reason why he felt he had to marry her, given the fact that neither of them seem much more interested, other than "ooh, you're interesting," <laughs> more than they don't actually seem to be in love with each other. Sorry, I'm just searching through a Tumblr trying to find a thing about the assistant because I wanted to say like she's a white woman and. Like, I say stupid things when it comes to, like, casting and stuff, but when I heard rumours that her Chiwetel Ejiofor was going to be maybe the 11th Doctor, I was really excited by that because I think he's an amazing actor mm -hmm. and I wish he'd been the Doctor. Even though I really like Matt Smith and he may be, I, I think I prefer him to David Tennant as a Doctor. I love Christopher Eccleston so much, like, beyond words. He is officially my favourite actor, so I, ha I guess I like his Doctor a lot but it's not, there's not really enough of it to really get kind of your teeth into it. So the Eighth Doctor. So, you know, Matt Smith, the Eleventh Doctor, may well be my favourite of the ones that I have any got any acquaintance with, but I would have loved if it was Tweet Legio 4. And so when it comes to being, like, an assistant, I want them to do a new thing and, as, you know, like, continue like, increasing, like, representation. It's like, you know, the whole women comic book movies, where is my Wonder Woman movie? Whether or not it has Christina Hendricks in doesn't really matter. What matters is that, like, we haven't got any female lead movies of superheroes. Mm -hmm. And that's bad. And we don't really, we don't have any, you know, like, main black superheroes or, like, any other kind of, like, non-white, non-male people. And that upsets me as a white male middle-class man with privileges, <laughs> you know? Education. <laughs> I see what you're saying. I um, I get it. Maybe I... My, with Doctor Who, for me, I've I don't want him to ever be a woman. That that sounds horrible because people. I've argued this before, and a lot of women had a go at me and said you should be all for women being a doctor because you're a woman and you know you've, we've all got vaginas and there and. My biggest argument is that in my head, and I don't know where I've got this from because I don't know if it's an official Gallifrey rule, but in my head, the Doctor is a male of his species and that Time Ladies are, you know, females of their species and they regenerate into ladies and the males regenerate into males. I don't see why you would ever I mean, re I mean, I regenerate and suck in your genitalia. Is, uh, is you're being really gender normative. What about the people who don't feel into those? I'm sorry, I don't want to be like anti, like genderqueer or anti any form of trans here, but like have, have the spectrum of people you know, that's the trouble with having only one Time Lord. I'm just trying to remember whether the Corsair, who was mentioned in that Neil Gaiman one, um, I should, probably should have typed it in more specifically. Oh, well, that's not helpful. Uh, was, did regenerate like men and male and female. Hmm. I mean, I personally, I would yes, have no problem with... Yes, stated to have regenerated as both male and female, but he kept the tattoo or she kept the tattoo. They kept the tattoo. I would have no problem with a black doctor or... Like any kind of different race of doctor, I just, I just don't want it. To, I just don't want him to ever be a woman. I don't. I think after eleven incarnations of man, you're pretty much a male, dude. Like 
Because you uh, have you? I'm sure you've seen the Curse of the Fatal Death, Stephen Moffat's first foray into Doctor Who. I actually haven't. Oh, watch it! It's great. It's got Jonathan Price as the Master Is... and Rowan Atkinson, Hugh Grant, Jim Broadbent, and Joanna Lumley as the Doctor. I was just going to say that the one with Joanna Lumley, and that might be why I didn't want bother watching it because i don't like her as an actress anyway and then she's not the... really so much in it as a punchline you know she's not an actress she's a punchline in that mm-hmm. the point of it is is that one it is officially canon as well as the richard e grant schalke doctor which i like parallel universe ninth doctors but the other bit yeah it is kind of silly and uh funny about the lack of choice in regeneration I suppose, mm-hmm. you know, to what extent is it a continuation of himself? Clearly, there is some kind of thread, but it also each one is very different. And obviously that comes from the practical things of different actors, different writers. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think you're right. After 11 incarnations, it would be a bit much too. Yeah. At that point. It's one thing if you are someone like the Corsair who regenerates as both and either alternates or just whatever. That's different. That means that you have a kind of dual gender going on, but he doesn't. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like to me, if he was if he was going to have, have been a woman ever, he would have by now. If <laughs> that's like <laughs> from a story point, you're seeing it from a very kind of internal point of view, which I think is really good. But like the reason was that he wasn't was probably because of like ingrained sexism or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> that's terrible. I don't know who you would get to to be the first female doctor either, and like really convince me that it was a good move. That is a big question. British <laughs> actress, first female doctor. The first woman who's popped into my head, would you like to know who it was? Go on, have a go. Olivia Williams. I don't know who that is. Uh, have you seen Dollhouse? No, I haven't. Have you seen The Ghost? Nope. <laughs> have you seen The Sixth Sense? But that's not helpful because she's a real bit part in that. Have you seen The Postman? No. <laughs> um, what other movies? Uh, have you seen Tara Road with Andy McDowell? Because if you've seen that, that will be ridiculous because I literally watched that film because Olivia Williams was in it. No, I haven't. I can't think of anything else she's been in, so I can't really keep pressing this. She is a really great actress and she always plays these really like capable women. Mm-hmm. She is just like so good at that. And a little bit of kind of maturity and age and experience. I think that would be interesting. I'm calling it here. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll share that tumblr and i'll get a million reblogs <laughs> i think i don't know if there's if there's going to be a first black doctor it's got to be my friend dave monteith eh? he'd be good wouldn't he <laughs> that that would be that would be good to see does he act i know that he, he writes no he, okay. does, he does he does act he acts quite a lot and quite well doesn't he but then the, the, he would have the problem of me constantly being attached to him going please get me apart just a little one i don't even care if i die please <laughs> please please just the one i'm not even ah oh, i just get so excited it'd be stupid i i can see how that would be an issue Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think we might fall out over it because I would be hounding him until one of us died. <laughs> right, but of contemporary British TV black actors, is there anyone who stands out for you? This is so fetishistic. I feel bad about this, but I feel it's worth discussing. It is worth discussing. I uh, I've got to say I am terrible with names and faces and things. So even if I could think of some, oh yes, your memory, of course. Is he? Yeah. Have you seen a doctor about your memory? <laughs> no, but I think I should. <laughs> it is pretty awful. I don't know, to be honest. It's an interesting one, though. I'm going to have to get thinking on that and, and the lady doctor um, perspective. <laughs> lady doctor? What, you know, gy- gynecologist who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, 
Oh dear. I mean, uh, yeah, the, the bad news would be the fan reaction. It's like the whole Ultimate Spider-Man, what is his face, Morales thing. Like, okay. it's the bad reaction. <laughs> hey, be Latino or you think that people are like harsh to the 11th Doctor, like a woman Doctor, it's going to be bad yeah. because people are horrible. This is very true. I would like, I'd be quite content to see Matt Smith stay in the role for like a million years, if, if at all possible. I, I think he's really, really good in it. I think, yeah, he's got that. That's wonderful. Funny, dark, silly, uh, emotive. He's, he's, he, yeah, he's really proven himself amazingly, and I didn't think that would happen. The only thing I had seen him in before that was the TV show Moses Jones, which was a um, show about, oh, I can't remember the guy who starred in it. Uh, it was about a black detective who was asked to look into this kind of ritualistic murder in an African community because he was black, and his boss is just like, well, you're black, you can sort it out. It's like... Yeah, my mum came from that community. I have never been there, never been connected with it. I'm British. But his like assistant was played by Matt Smith as this really annoying young man. So when I was like, it was Matt Smith, I was just like, oh, he's going to be so annoying. But of <laughs> course he was playing a part really well rather than being just an annoying guy. <laughs> just, just being a dickhead. I am, when he was announced for the Doctor, I, was, uh, I had no experience of him whatsoever so i was quite happy to just go along for the ride because the only thing that i knew that he'd been in and i hadn't actually watched it was there's a set of books by philip pullman and i can't remember oh what yeah the, the, the sally Lockhart in the smoke series. shadow in yeah. the north those sort yeah. of ones i hadn't seen i saw the first one and not the second one that he was in i think mm-hmm. or i don't remember I, um, him from it anyway I didn't watch any of them because uh, Billy Piper played Sally Lockhart and that just really upset me because I think she's a terrible actress. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm not doing very well, am I, for having nice opinions about things on this episode? It's okay. Like, you know, no one said the parlour had to be friendly to the pop culture. It's friendly to the people who have come in and had some cake. Oh, I was going to bring actually, there's some cake downstairs. So I was going to bring it up so I could have it in the parlour. Oh, you should have, because do you know what? It won't be by the time this episode comes out, but this week is actually National Cupcake Week. Wow. I'm just saying. I went out and bought cupcakes yesterday, because as soon as I found that out, I was like, how can I not celebrate my birthday with cupcakes now? So me and Rich bought, they were doing like an offer of four cupcakes for five quid. So we got four, like we got two each. They were amazing. We got two each, and the dude just gave us one for free, because obviously uh, he was... I don't know, dazzled by my winning smile or something. <laughs> but I had I had one of them yesterday, and then earlier today I had uh, an Oreo cookie cupcake, which was Ooh, wow. the greatest thing I've ever put in my mouth. So, <laughs> oh, I'm biting my tongue again, um, oh, dude. Seriously, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When I'm podcasting, I I don't necessarily censor myself in the way that I should. <laughs> it's fine. I'm a massive perv. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you've been the one who's been like perving over actresses this episode. That is, yeah, that's true. I should probably start perving over some of the opposite sex just to you know balance the. Um... To be like, fair, I, my, my love for Christopher Eccleston, I'm just like you know unashamed man crush really. <laughs> um, I do, I do kind of love Matt Smith though, to be honest. Although I think he looks really weird in these last few episodes. I don't know what that's all about. He's always looked really weird. It's just whether you kind of notice or not. Rich says he looks like a Dorito because he's got a big triangle face. <laughs> yeah. Quite sure. I, uh, I think he's lovely. And Rich actually made me a Christmas card last year that was like, because um, we didn't want to buy each other ones because they're too expensive. So he made me a Christmas card on which he drew a big Dorito with a face and called it Matt Smith. <laughs> right. Well, that's yeah. going to impact on my watching of the next episode, I guess. I can't remember what's going to happen in the next episode. It's that 
is it the pair of three, the next one? I think, I can't remember what it, it's like, it sort of dips around in Amy and Rory's, it's all from their point of view, I think. Oh yeah, can we choose whether to live like a normal life or a doctor life? Well, who would go back to a normal life? I'm sorry, right, this guy can show you the fucking universe. I I think it's the deadly peril, right? I mean, I don't spend much time in deadly peril, but I imagine it's quite exhausting. Like, there's times when you just want to put your feet up and watch some TV and have a cup of tea. I don't think... If you're constantly running... Like, I'd be too unfit to be a companion. Because he's always like, run! Run! Can I casually jog or power walk instead? (laughs) He's like, oh, shit, I've been murdered by darling. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I could. I could ever spend a day doing a normal thing like watching telly and stuff anymore. If I'd been to another planet, <laughs> I just. Well, I, no, I don't know. I, I've, I've been to Croatia, and Croatia is very much like another planet. <laughs> it's you know, just like amazing and different, and has a strange language and all this history, and some good history and some bad history, and abandoned buildings and exciting lost cities and the rest of it. But. I still have to live my life. Admittedly, I don't have a choice to jump in a TARDIS. But, you know, you, you have to carry on after experiencing the amazing, I guess. I think if I was the Doctor's companion, I would literally be with him until one of us died. <laughs> I'd be like, mate, okay. no way you're taking me back home now. Seriously, piss off. Right. We're, we're just going to fart about in space a bit longer, thanks. And we would, and then I'd probably get... Knowing me, I'd get murdered by something rubbish like a slitheen or something. <laughs> Just get farted to death or something awful. Well, if you're lucky, you'd be like Rory and you'd be constantly getting murdered and it doesn't seem to write you out of the show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless him. The poor guy. I love Rory. Yeah, he's cute too, actually. Yeah. Just to throw that out there. <laughs> I feel like I'm going off on a bit of a tangent now, but I don't mind. Well, well, you know. Did you have anything more to say on Doctor Who? Or on anything, you know? <laughs> uh, not particularly. I mean, in terms of, of Doctor Who, I am definitely enjoying this more than last series. But I am just now constantly living in fear of the time when River Song shows up again, because she will undoubtedly show up again. And They've got to have that uh, picnic on Asgard. But it, it just ugh, it annoys me because they kept going on about this. Oh, sorry. Can I just say Idris Elba would be a great doctor. Have you seen? I watch. I've been watching his clubbing documentary, where he's a lot more like relaxed and loose. It's kind of interesting. I haven't seen it. Well, maybe. Hmm. I'm stroking my chin in thought. <laughs> but he's another one like Christopher Eccleston, who I'll watch in anything. You know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge fan of Christopher Eccleston. Just in general, or as the Doctor? Well, the only other thing I'd ever seen him in was some bizarre production of Othello. So. <laughs> okay. Because like the first thing I saw him in was Russell T Davis, The Second Coming, in which he's amazing, and he's amazing in um, that other one. What is it called? Cracker. And uh, Hillsborough is on this week, so I'm going to record it because I haven't seen that. But Jimmy McGovern, Christopher Eccleston, it's good. Yeah, so, I didn't. I didn't really buy him as the Doctor. I couldn't. But lots of planets have a north. No, it wasn't that. It wasn't his accent at all. It was the um, it was the comedy bits. I can't buy comedy. I think, oh, I tell a lie. I've also seen him in Shallow Grave, in which he is fucking terrifying. Oh yeah, that's true. He's really good in that. <laughs> he's amazing, but he's scary as balls in that. Oh my word. Yeah. So I I was I I couldn't buy the comedy bits from him. Like you know the whole thing about having a banana and stuff. I'm just like oh. You're not funny. Stop it. Brood some more. That's what you do. Um, <laughs> That's true. I've kind of repressed those bits because I haven't really seen much of him since I actually watched it on the actual TV. And so, and they didn't really repeat it like every day on BBC Three in quite the same way. 
So I've seen all of the David Tennant ones quite a lot, but um, I just think of him as, yeah, going around being angsty about things and wearing a leather jacket. Yeah, that's that's kind of the bit that I that I liked. It was when whenever he tried to make some sort of joke or be a bit quirky, I was like, no, can't have it from you. Sorry. <laughs> but maybe that's just me. I just remember... Well, no, I think now- it's an issue because you've got to be able to do both. Yeah, definitely. Especially for a character like that, because he isn't just about the, the brooding and the important decisions and the whatnot. Whereas I feel like that's why Matt Smith is my favourite thus far, is that David Tennant, just like, he has a frowny face when he's being sad. Like, he was good at the comedic elements, but I didn't think he was as good at the dramatic elements. Yeah, um, I've just realised how long we've been going on, and I've just remembered something else I wanted to mention, so I'm just going to mention it really briefly. Did you happen to watch A Touch of Cloth? I certainly did. Uh, I proudly torrented it, because none of my money is going to Sky. Oh. (laughs) Screw you, Murdoch. Um, sorry, I'm getting politicised again. But yeah, <laughs> did you like it? I did, oh, so much. I um, I love Charlie Brooker anyway. And, well, I say I love Charlie Brooker. I like a lot of Charlie Brooker stuff. I wasn't that enamoured with that Black Mirror stuff that he did last What? Come on. Do you know what? Some of it was good. I liked the episode a bit. I've forgotten them all. No, I can't even talk about it. 15 Million Merits, I really liked. The one he wrote with actually Connie Huck about the X Factor. Oh, no, I, see, I didn't love that one. Didn't like that one. A lot of people didn't like that one, and they're wrong. It's the best episode. <laughs> <laughs> I liked yeah. the one that was about that couple, and I, can, I can't actually see this is how terrible my memory is. I can't actually remember the main point of the story now, but I remember it being good. Okay. The entire history of you, which is the one that's not written by Charlie Brooker, it's written by Tony Roche, who actually writes on the thick of it, I think. And it's all about having the ability to replay your memories and experiences all over again. That's the which one. So scary. Yeah. Really, isn't it? Totally. I loved that one. I can't remember what the other one was. Go on. Uh, Prime Minister screwing a pig. Yes, of course. That was somewhat uncomfortable to watch. (laughs) What's that with the family? Uh, Charlie Brooker is... I love Screen Wipe and I love Dead Set obviously who doesn't so like when rich <laughs> it's quite hilariously when i first saw an advert for it i wasn't the trailers were very strange oh, trailers the adverts were very strange in the sense that if you didn't catch all of it it didn't necessarily look like a comedy and it just looked kind of shit and i was right. like okay what is this bollocks and and rich was like stace this is charlie brooker's new show that's obviously going to be amazing shut your mouth <laughs> So we watched it and oh, I just thought it was kind of like if Airplane was uh, a police show. <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a very real sense, police squad, you know, the naked gun, but Brilliant. slightly different. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love Airplane. I love that sort of humour. Obviously, you have to know that it's coming if you're just like, oh, this is a comedy show. Because I watched, you know, and Dan Mayer, who used to write for Harry Hill, is the like co-writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so and he's just done like a load of new tv projects now that he's got time on his hands and needs to pay the bills now tv work isn't happening but uh yeah i really liked it my favorite bit is the bit in the second episode where the sergeant says gov can you explain it to me in a way as if like we've just come back from some kind of break as if we were some kind of viewer and just like you could recap the case to me that'd be really helpful it's just like <laughs> it's very it's not like that hard to do in the modern day but it was well done and oh, it was it was brilliant. I loved that um that one detective who was constantly calling him over to look at something in quite an urgent manner, and then when he got there, it would just be something pervy. <laughs> He'd be like, yeah. Mate, I think I really think you should look at this. Then he'd come over, and it was just like a a, a porn calendar or something. <laughs> and then yeah, later yeah. that kind of carries on right through. He's like, <laughs> yeah. be with you in a second, and later they kind of need him to back them up, and he's still. <laughs> there. <laughs> 
Oh, I, th- I, I thought it was so, so funny. And I'm so glad to hear that they're going to make a couple more because yeah. I was well, really Karen sad Gillen's that it's going to be in the third series. Oh, really? I yeah, didn't know that. Like the, the first thing she's going to be doing after Doctor Who or the second thing. Because oh, I um, I really enjoyed, I, I tell you what, it took me an absolute age to realise that it, I've forgotten her name even now. God, me and my memory. The one who played the TARDIS. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't um, remember her name. It took me ages to, uh, an old man, to realise that that was her. I, I tell you what, I loved her ringtones as well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, for anybody who hasn't but, no, watched and it. And the wall charts, the wall chart in her kitchen, lists of fruit that aren't oranges. <laughs> the best visual jokes i think the whole show oh i thought do you know it was just to me it was just completely pitch perfect like it didn't and i love the fact that his name was was cloth and that one of the detectives just kept saying things that you could like oh why don't you what you're coming apart at the seams cloth and oh i just all of it i just thought was absolutely Uh, perfect tom boss assistant constable tom boss (laughs) who is the guy out of green wing isn't he I had no idea. <laughs> but he was good, whoever yeah. he was. Yeah, yeah, he was good. It's a ridiculous villain. And then it's like, you know, old man, you should have realised all along. You know, it's like, help me lick the blood off this sword, old man. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Sorry, oh. we like spoiling this well, a lot, but it doesn't it, really matter. It's no. about the jokes. You know, like airplane, like they land the plane. Spoiler warning. <laughs> Not yeah. really important. If you're watching airplane because you you want to know whether they land the plane or not you're doing it wrong although have you seen that youtube trailer that like recuts the airplane like scenes from airplane into a trailer as if it were like back to the disaster movies it was parodying <laughs> no it's, it looked like an entirely serious film i will have to find that oh definitely but yeah that's basically all i wanted to say on a touch of cloth is that it's really funny go on uh, yeah. what's the uh, what was the little thing you wanted to do a brief okay well i just wanted to mention like a youtube video that was pop culture but right Stay with me. It was a two-minute anime version of Star Wars, but not like the Star Wars movies, but as if it were a TV series from Star Wars, the original trilogy era, with some anime Imperial captain and, like, TIE fighter pilots going around being awesome. And it was, like, the most awesome two minutes of thing I have seen, like, (laughs) in the last year, because I love Star Wars, and I wish that they were doing that as, like, a whole TV series. Because their new TV series is a bit ridiculous. I don't know if you've heard anything about this because if you're not a Star Wars obsessive, you probably won't have. They're doing a new series called Star Wars Detours where basically they rehash jokes from uh, Robot Chicken Star Wars, but with a like computer animated style. And Seth Green is actually working on it. So that's nice. And Jane Espenson also off of uh, Dollhouse and Battlestar Galactica, which is ridiculous because she's not a comedy writer as far as I'm aware. Although I think she is doing an online comedy series at the minute. But like that's not her primary focus is doing it as well. And it made me laugh, but my threshold for laughing at things is really low. Like I'm very uncritical when it comes to comedy. I can enjoy like the broadest comedy. And like I can sit down and watch something like, as I say, Stuart Lee, I do find him funny. But, you know, or even something like a bit, you know, still more highbrow. And I like the kind of niche stuff. I do the niche stuff. Like, you know, I make jokes about neuroscience for my like entertainment. Um, You know, that's niche stuff. But like, I wish that they were doing an awesome TV show with awesome like stuff happening in that amazing universe. So, yeah. But there is a new book out that is like actually decent for once. I read like all the Star Wars books, but I have stopped, you know, mostly buying physical copies now. Uh, I tend to get them from the library and stuff. I can imagine that that would be quite an expensive pastime. Let me assure you that it has. I'm sitting with it, like, you know, probably like worryingly like hundreds of pounds worth of Star Wars books. Oh, dear. 
like, I realised the other day when I was um, I was sorting out my comics because I'm really trying to get rid of a few, but nobody wants to buy them from me. Is that I realised that of the ones that I want to get rid of, there's probably about four hundred quid's worth. <laughs> oh shit! But yeah, and I'm just reading a, a book at the minute, a Star Wars one that is actually like good because they have this author guy right and he's got his start he's called aaron alston he's like a big geek author i guess like genre fiction stuff and he got his start in star wars by writing like this really good series of books about a squadron of misfit pilots so there was a bit of comedy there was a bit of action because they weren't established characters any one of them could and did die a lot mm-hmm. and they kind of promoted him to being writing like the main series and he just couldn't do it but they kept making him do it and they've finally given him back like his original series and it's really good. And it really kind of almost annoys me. I don't know how often it happens in other media where it's like, you know, they wrote oh, a thing in a certain style and then you make them go and do the most mainstream book possible and they're struggling within its constraints. Mm-hmm. And that happened a lot in Star Wars and that's why I think I got like a lot of kind of fed up with it. And I had a lot of fan entitlement and believed that the era when I was reading it at like my most formative years is definitely the best era. You know, See, I way. just I haven't got the patience for all the Star Wars stuff because there is too much. Just yeah, too like much. someone needs to do a reading list that is just like, here are the good ones, read these. <laughs> you know, because there are some fantastic books in there. Anything by Matthew Stover, like his proper books, but like his Star Wars books are just amazing and there's some other ones that are really good but there is a lot of in between stuff that is important continuity but not necessarily good literature so that's an issue mm-hmm. i am um, i'm probably going to get my geek card revoked now when i say that i haven't actually watched all six films oh which one haven't you watched uh there's two i haven't watched i haven't watched the two that i've forgotten what the ones called what is wrong with me fuck's sake i haven't watched revenge of the sith and the one before that <laughs> uh but you're not missing much with attack of the clones because attack of the clones go. is the worst star wars film like don't let anyone tell you that phantom menace is like i'm so assertive about these things these are all of my opinions but my opinions are to me obviously completely rational and factually correct by definition <laughs> uh yeah there's no such thing as like you know objective reality guys um if I learned one thing about like science and psychology, it's like, no, no, there's no such thing as like, anyway, um, Revenge of the Sith, I quite like, like there's some bad bits in it, but for the most part, it is a pretty exciting film. And because I care about all of the Jedi, cause I've read all their like adventures in the comics and stuff. I'm just like, oh no, they're all dying. Ah, I'm crying. I'm crying in the cinema. Why? It's a Star Wars film. But Return of the Jedi is my favourite Star Wars film, and so, you know, I'm not really entitled to talk about anything. That's my favourite too, but I have not seen two of them, so, hey, who knows, yeah. maybe. Maybe I'll be the one person in the world that loves Attack of the Clones. <laughs> I just think, that, like, The Empire Strikes Back is a really good film, and everyone says it's the best, but it's incomplete. It is the first half of a chapter, and so you mm-hmm. get all of the catharsis in the last one and you get an awesome space battle you get like a ground battle lightsaber battle emotional stuff going on a cool opening sequence it's just like there's much more to it than the empire strikes back which is just like some things happen but they're all set up and no reward mm-hmm. i wholeheartedly concur with you good sir <laughs> let's be the only ones who think that eh? Hooray! um <laughs> i've just been reminded of some scene now i feel stupid because here was me at the start saying i haven't done or read or seen anything uh, and now i was just going to mention robot chicken dc thing did you see Ooh, it? is that happening no i haven't seen it i'll have to it's happening it's that. happened it's happened all up in your face i don't usually watch robot chicken because it actually frightens me <laughs> Right. Okay. It's so pathetic. I have got a weird thing about certain kinds of animation and certain kinds of like stop motion stuff. And they really, really freak me out. And a lot of them have very scary voices. And the actual robot chicken itself terrifies me. 
But right. Okay. I did watch I did watch the DC one with Rich and um, would wholeheartedly recommend it to DC fans because it is really funny. I mean, th- there's one bit. This isn't really a spoiler because it's such a small segment. But like running through it, they have a little segment of like, yes, these are actually real DC characters, and it's kind of taking the piece and, and bringing out characters that barely anybody has ever heard of. Like I've forgotten his name there, the little squirrely Green Lantern. And I, and... Say, I won't be able to help you on that. <laughs> um, but it's it's all stuff like that, and then one of them is Firestorm, and he's like, "Really? See, I'm quite popular, you know." And he's uh, he's having a bit of a, a bit of a tantrum because because uh, he believes he's more popular than the little squirrely Green Lantern and some man with a banjo I've never even heard of. I'm not even sure if he's real, um, <laughs> but it was it was very funny, and I enjoyed it. And I think that's basically all I have to say. I'm doing really badly at uh, reviewing music on these shows, I've noticed, because I keep saying ooh, I'm going to. Then... Well, I put in some music, but I haven't talked about it. Go on. Did you want to mention some? I know it's late, but who cares? That's fine. <laughs> uh, well, the only thing I've actually been listening to, like, a lot, is uh, Two Door Cinema Club's new album, which I've become addicted to, because they're okay. I don't know if you know of them or even like them, but I think... I've they're... heard of them, but I don't know anything else about it. Uh, well, they're like a, a sort of indie type. I like them um, quite a lot. Okay. Um, their new album's better than their first one as well. And I thought their first one was like pretty kicking. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I will have to try listening unto them. But yeah, good. It's good. That's good. Something you can be excited about. It is. I've, uh, I've got tickets to see them um, at some point in the not too distant future, but I've forgotten the date. I've got so many tickets to things that I keep forgetting the dates to, but I do know that next Thursday I'm going to see Adam Buxton live doing Bug, and I'm so excited I might do it. Ooh, that is album. exciting. Isn't it, though? Did you watch Bug? No, I, I literally today started watching the first episode. Isn't that nice? Oh, oh it's so funny. You have got some good stuff coming up, my friend. All I'm going to say is just to look out for the counting song, because that might be the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life okay i will keep an ear out for it anyway um what were you gonna say about your musical choice oh well uh yeah i chose and music for this uh the introduction didn't i which comes up i wanted to bemoan the death of neoprog can i do that can i say r.i.p neoprog you can but i don't know what you mean okay well basically once upon a time I was a big Muse fan, and I still am to an extent a Muse fan. And uh, then I uh, was so like rubbish at finding new music that I literally went on Wikipedia and clicked all their genre pages, and then looked at like the bands that fitted into those genres. And one of them is neoprog, i.e., anything that's vaguely influenced by Pink Floyd, etc., in the 21st century. And like the band on the top of that list of neoprog was Pure Reason Revolution, who have been described as a cross between the Beach Boys, Pink Floyd and Justice. And that is about accurate. They are just like the most amazing band that no one's ever heard of. And I had like the joy of seeing them twice for like their album launch and then their one of their album launches and one of their finale well their finale tours and that so they're dead i have their r.i.p t-shirt they're amazing anyone who hasn't listened to them and has like any interest in music that has like a bit of electronica and a bit of rocking should listen to it anyone who likes harmonies should listen to it anyone who misses pink floyd should listen to it anyone who thinks muse were good but wanted a bit more from them and don't really like uh, their new single should listen to it muse i don't know what happened to muse I like The Resistance as an album. The songs I've heard from The Second Law are interesting, but just a bit kind of nothing-y. And I haven't heard the whole album yet, so I can't fully prejudge it. But I've heard three of the songs. One of them was the Olympic theme survival. Race! Life's a race! No, you don't say Matt Bellamy! 
Um, uh, did you did you see the performance of that at the? I can't remember if it was the opening or closing ceremony, closing. but it was like somebody doing bad Matt Bellamy karaoke. It was like a parody of himself. It was the worst oh, thing I've ever seen. Have you ever heard him like speak in an interview? No. Like, he's the man. He's like, I am a rationalist. There is no proof of the existence of God, but aliens. I love aliens. They're definitely real. It's like <laughs> at least have some internal consistency. You kind of get a few choices, like. <laughs> He sounds brilliant, actually. <laughs> I would say, I probably I should have actually tried to do a Devonish accent for that. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. He's also like, he's the man who is surprised when he broke up with his girlfriend when he wrote a song dedicated to her on an album for which the chorus is just, When Will the Loneliness Be Over? <laughs> just like, do you think you could figure that one out, mate? He's a guy who had a baby with Kate Hudson and called it Bing. Bing. I liked his music, but yeah. It spiralled off course, and so Pure Reason Revolution were like the thing that made that good. And so the song that I chose like for the intro for this episode is their last ever song, and it's just wonderful. I love it, and it makes me feel epic whenever I listen to it, and that's good. Right. I think it's probably a bit time that I shut my face. So <laughs> It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> I haven't fallen asleep on the keyboard, but I have done a couple of quite subtle yawns away okay, from the microphone. Two subtle <laughs> And I am getting goop in the corner of my eye, but you didn't really need to know any of that. Um, <laughs> um, thank you for coming on at such short notice and being so great. Because uh, I, I sucked at my preparation and I had like weeks. So it's just like the free space to talk about the things that I think in my head and don't tell like the internet. So that's good. Oh, I like telling the internet what I think, even though it doesn't usually agree with me. Just argue yeah. with it. Is is there anything that you want to promote or plug? Uh, from the podcasts, I mean, like, the podcast is like the main thing that I uh, do. Psychomedia, uh, that's a thing. Look it up. Other than that, not really. I did a poetry video recently, but I can't remember how to find that. If you search Timothy Swan on like YouTube, it will probably come up. Like, just search my name, and it will probably come up with like my Deviant Art, where there's short stories and stuff. My short stories is like my like successful thing. I've been published a couple of times in short stories, but like my ability to focus on finishing the novel I'm working on, I really want to get it done for the end of the autumn of indie, but <laughs> unlikely because that Geek Syndicate thing is so cool, mm -hmm. promoting things. Kindle Direct Publishing. I spent all of this time just being like, I'm never going to be a published writer. Wow, 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 wow. What a rubbish problem to have. And then I'm just like, yes, ebooks, leveraging online people to read my thing. <laughs> when, you know, so uh, yeah, basically, I saying no not really apart from listen to psychomedia if you don't already uh, and if you do keep on listening and tell your friends and stuff because it's so much fun to do and hopefully like you learn some stuff as well i know that i do i'm amazed by the things i've discovered about like just like the human brain and or mind that i didn't learn and i did three years of a degree of it so i just do it the fun way now with jokes <laughs> i like jokes jokes are good literally like explaining all of like my favorite one of recent times like last week explaining all of like the human senses using the power rangers that's the sort of thing okay <laughs> Because there's five regular ones, but then there's lots of secret ones that turn up differently at different times. That's the basic point. Oh, no, do you know what? Nothing could be old school, proper, mighty morphine, I don't think. 
yeah, I uh, never really watched it as a child for some reason. I think our parents just like certainly dissuaded us from it or something. I don't quite know how that happened. Oh, I loved a bit of Power Rangers. Anyway, the, if we oh, fucking hell, Stace, just shut up and and turn off the podcast. If you would like to get in touch with me with regards to all that blathering we've just done, or if you want to come on the show, uh, you can drop me an email at Stacey's Parlor at gmail.com or i am on the twitters uh, as stace bob t uh, and i'm on the twitters quite a lot so like you can't really miss me to be fair <laughs> oh yeah seriously like do you know how weird following both you and kiha is with the whole like food thing? oh we've stopped it now do you know what's the stupidest part is that we both use an online food diary called my fitness pal and we have the entire time that we were tweeting each other our food like our meals uh, and it only dawned on us after about what was it about two months tweeting each other every time we ate anything that we could actually just look at each other's diaries on my fitness pal <laughs> wow right you know, big news. <laughs> oh war a pair of dickheads so uh, so we just do that now instead except i always look at his and get really confused because like he runs a lot whereas i do not so he'll like get up in the morning go for a run and then eat like a proper meal for breakfast like fish and rice or something i'm like oh I can't even think about fish in the morning without like barfing slightly in my mouth. But right. <laughs> what a delightful note to end this episode on. <laughs> Brilliant ending. <laughs> I thought so. Fish and chocolate. Fish both and chocolate. Both things that you don't really want in the morning, probably. Both things that don't make sense together. Um, yeah, I guess that was episode eight, or it will be when I've thoroughly edited the shit out of it. <laughs> uh, how does uh, how does the titling work on your your show? If we want to go behind the magic, because like obviously last week there were spiders, so that was obvious. Normally, I just go based on what we've rambled the most about, or what I. So uh, Doctor Who, I guess. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll try and think of some witty pun. I've got about a week to think about it, so hopefully it'll be semi witty by the time it. Uh, it hits your eyes Ooh, um, and then next episode is gonna be like just pre-halloween so i might i might talk some scary films or sut in with someone don't know <laughs> or sut in or sut in <laughs> it must be some kind of alien or sut in that is a reference for Adam Buxton fans and I really am going to go now because I am literally just rambling so yeah see you in October guys bye bye my head tonight so I won't promise that I'll speak to you today but if I